Very excited to be joined by today's guest. When it comes to the Blue Jays, when it comes to prospect evaluation and baseball content in general, he's one of my favorites out there. You can follow him on X at Jays Prospectus or at Nene Takes. Matt, welcome to the walk-up, man. Thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to get into some good Jays talk today and maybe learn a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, dude. Honestly, where do we want to start? You have this way of kind of cutting through the emotion and like the irrationality that sometimes us baseball fans have to deal with. We're all guilty of it, right? Like when you love a team, it's easy to maybe um, get attached to certain guys or overvalue certain players, undervalue certain guys. But you are really good at getting to the crux of the numbers and really um, deciphering what those stats mean and where you find the value and stuff like that. So well done on that. And I can't wait to pick your brain on it. Um, do you mind starting with stats? Yeah, that's no worries. Okay, let's start with stats because the truth is there's this weird dichotomy between almost a divide between baseball fans, right? And I obviously there's a middle ground. That's the truth of it. There is a middle ground, but a lot of times it gets pinned as analytics versus the eye test. And much like the world, there's a gray area and there's a middle ground to be had here. But really, I think that analytics, sometimes people view it as like this evil robot that is controlling the game. But the truth is analytics is just information, right? It's it's information that can help the coaching staff and can help players get the best value out of their game. Uh, what are your favorite stats right now and how do you use them? Because I think that's a big, a big drop or a big, um, a big problem with some folks who watch baseball is that it's a learning maybe curve, they just don't sure. know how you decipher a stat, right. And like what that stat yeah. means at the end of the day for a player. So what are your favorite stats and what do they mean? Uh, but yeah, you're right on. I know it's really a tool they're not supposed to be everything um i do value actually watching baseball because at the end of the day that's what we're here for <laughs> some of my favorite stats um if we're talk talking about like hitters especially major league hitters i do really like wrc plus it's kind of just the all, all encompassing hitting stat it's it's kind of similar to ops or ops plus where it's aiming to just quantify like full run production just relative to the league average where like a hundred is like the average. And it also takes into account like offensive environment. Like for example, if someone's playing half their games in Colorado, they're hitting in a run environment. That's just, it's just a lot easier to hit there versus somewhere like Kansas city, which is like a pitcher's ballpark. So it takes into account that, which I like, it kind of standardizes it across all players. And yeah, that's a, that's like the main hitting stat. Like if I'm just looking for, I just want to see the results. I just want to see what happened. That's like the main, like brief one to look at. And then the biggest advantage, the biggest advantage of WRC plus is it's, it's really weighting the amount of bases a guy gets. Right. Yes. Instead of it's, it's very similar to OPS plus, like they're usually within like one or two points of each other, actually. Like, you can almost use them interchangeably. WRC plus just it weights, it kind of weights. Um, it's like uses weighted on base percentage 
I won't get into it too much. I'm not even, I'm kind of fuzzy on it myself, but it's basically <laughs> just like a slightly better version of OPS plus. Um, but yeah, I really like that one. You can use OPS if you like that one too. It's just, especially when you're using raw OPS, you have to take into account that some, some hitters are playing in parks where they have a bit of an advantage, like a right-handed hitter in Fenway park. They have that giant wall in the left and they hit a lot of doubles. So there's like that kind of thing to take into account. But generally those are like my preferred hitting stats. Yeah. And kind of like within WRC plus, cause that just tells us the results, right? Like there's results are the most important, but you also want to see what the processes. And this is especially true for prospects because we're not caring about how prospects are hitting at single A. We're caring about how they're going to project in the big leagues. So you might get a guy who's a little bit older for the level where he's kind of beating up on weaker competition and he's performing well, but you also want to look at like what you're projecting it out. So there's like, like contact rate is important, which is just very simply how much contact you make, like what percentage mm-hmm. you swing and miss. Um, chase rate, or it's sometimes called O swing percentage. And that's just how many, that's the percentage of pitches that you you chase out of the zone, which is, it's a really good, big predictor and like walk rate. And also just like how good of a hitter you are, because the more bad pitches you swing at, even if you make contact, like you're, it's probably an ugly swing. It's probably just not going to be, you don't really hit home runs on like pitches in the dirt. So that's a really important one. Um, like exit velocities are just, basically a measure of how hard you're hitting the ball. Yeah. And that's also important, especially for power projection, um, like barrel rate, which is like a barrel is considered, you have to hit it between a certain launch angle and a certain power threshold, which is basically means a hard hit ball in the air. That's what a barrel is considered. So you might get players that are lighting up exit velocities, like they're hitting the ball really hard, but it's often on the ground and they might not be actually hitting for much home run power at all. Like we have one, Vladimir yes. Jr. <laughs> yes. He does that a lot. But usually for prospects, I would say this is something that usually comes later. Like if you if you think about it logically, like you play baseball and you might start hitting the ball hard, but you'd have a lot of trouble. Like in Little League, you don't see very many guys hit the hot it hard in in the air that's usually something that comes a lot later in development like mm-hmm. even like guys in like single a you don't see a lot of home runs you might see someone like smoking the ball but that's something like learning to hit for power like that is usually something you see later but in some cases it never really happens never really comes um you kind of expect it to come but it doesn't always so that's that's that so matt out of curiosity in your opinion when you see some of these stats like barrel rate, like exit velocity, like launch angle, and it isn't, those numbers are good, but then it's not translating into direct results, lower batting average, lower on base percentage. What does an organization do when they see those numbers? Because you want those good numbers, right? Like you want yeah. a high exit below, you want good barrel rates. What does an organization do when they look at a prospect and maybe those three elements are going really well, but it's not producing results? What is, from a developmental standpoint, the next step? Well, you want to try and figure out why, which is the main issue, is 
there's a lot of different reasons why something someone can be underperforming. It can really just be as simple as luck. Sometimes just sometimes you just get unlucky. And there's every year there's baseball hitters who get on who get unlucky and then maybe next year they're gonna get lucky and that's just kind of how it works. But mostly a lot of the time if if a player is hitting the ball hard and they're not swinging at balls and they're making contact, they're probably the you'd have to look at like the batted ball metrics and see like why why is this why are these not falling for hits or why is this not gonna be home run power? And a lot of the time it's something like maybe a player hits the, can hit the ball really hard, but they're mishitting, they're getting out in front, they're just kind of like pounding it into the ground or they're hitting a lot of pop flies, like just low quality contact. That's just not going to go for hits. That's Mm -hmm. like that kind of thing. Cause sometimes you don't really see that in the general like stats. And then sometimes it's also just like, you get a guy, maybe let's say he's 19 at double a, like he's up against like far superior competition to him. And Mm -hmm. like, you kind of take the results, like you kind of have to scale the results. Like you give him more leeway to struggle because like this is someone we expect to be good if there's if they're 19 at double way they're gonna they're like a pretty big prospect like but this does doesn't happen with like oh ravis martinez is a good example of that right a guy yeah, who came into double a at 19 and 20 and struck out a crazy amount of time despite showing some major power for that league yep it he's was age right he, he was just overmatched at times by just even a, a guy who knows how to pitch yeah, and he is not someone who is like this very advanced kind of hitterish. He's like he did swing and miss a lot. He did chase out of the zone quite a bit, and it's just like maybe a guy you'd kind of predict to struggle. Like this is someone who he's really he's athletic, he's strong, but he's not really he, he's kind of raw still. And he's up against pitchers that are probably three or four years older and. They know how to they know how to get swings and misses. They know how to get chases. Maybe they're not overpowering, but they're at more advanced than him. So that's something like you go and expect maybe next year he's gonna improve. And guess what? He really did. And a lot of people wrote him off very too early, in my opinion, because he was he was young. Like it's even baseball America kind of is guilty of that, eh? Yeah. yeah I mean they, he's back, he's back in their top one hundreds now, but I know that yeah. he fell out. And, yeah, uh, and um, yeah. pipeline as well. Actually, yeah, both pipeline as well. Both took, they both took them out. I find they, they put them back in. <laughs> they don't usually have a very high. Stu- they don't really stomach a lot of swing and miss very much. Yeah, so that's I think that's they probably looked at the strikeout numbers and gone, we have these guys we like better. But yeah, he was a good example of someone like of like a player that's really young, like. The Blue Jays drafted uh, Arjun Namala in the first mm-hmm. round this year. He's still 17. I think he turns 18 in December. Which is so, wild. Yeah, it is wild. Like, he should be in playing high school baseball. Like, that's <laughs> what you have to – like, for, like, another year. So, like, when he – if he ends up struggling this year at single A, it's kind of like, like – I love him to play well, but it's just like you have to be patient. Like, this is mm-hmm. not – this isn't like a 22 year old college bat struggling. Like this is, that's a guy you expect. This guy's going to hit right away. If he doesn't hit right away, then we've got a problem. Like this is like, it's a process. So that's something that I really care about. I know all the, like the team models 
like like their prospect models, they all really value the age relative to level. Definitely something to really look at. The um, luck, the luck thing you brought up, more. by the way, the luck thing you brought up, Matt, and it's funny because yeah. that's going to rub a lot of fans the wrong way, that there's as much luck involved in baseball as there is. But I know one thing stood out to me. We did a live show in Toronto there, and David Schneider was actually kind enough <laughs> to come down and join us on the show. And there was a point where he was offhanded about it. Like it was just like a throwaway line where they were talking about how much luck is in baseball. And he literally went a hundred percent. And then he was, yeah. and then he corrected himself. He was like, well, 98% luck, but like even just the mindset of baseball players to truly believe like, yeah, there's just moments where it is luck over a short period of time. And this is why everyone talks sample size, right? It's like, yeah, like we had him on the show when he was breaking major league baseball records for a start, but he also was like, I'm going to go. Oh, and 25. He's like, I, I know I am. And it's just like to be cognizant of like the ups and downs and the swings and luck as much as you can really get into the nitty gritty of the analytics. There is mm -hmm. like a luck aspect and even just like a, a mindset to it. Yeah. I mean, I remember George Springer, there's that stretch where George Springer was really struggling this year. And it wasn't his best year by any means, but that was a stress where he was, he said it himself. I remember there's an interview where he's like, as a hitter, like, you're not going to change anything. Like, this is what I've been doing. I'm going to continue to do it. It's going to turn around like that. You have to have a strong will. If you're just constantly tweaking stuff all the time, you can't get into a rhythm. And yeah, it, there is a lot of luck in baseball. Like how many times do you see, like basically any ground ball single is a luck. If you kind of, you can kind of aim. Sometimes hitters will kind of aim for a gap, I guess. Like maybe mm -hmm. release a rise. But a lot of the time they're just, they're just swing, swinging hard. And then if it finds a hole, it finds a hole on the field. If it doesn't find a hole, like that's that's what it is. It's like you can't. It's not something. That like as in they don't like, and that's why I kind of like take stuff like like clutch stats with kind of a grain of salt. Like this guy's a clutch hitter, or this guy's not a clutch hitter, and it's like you're working with like ten plate appearances. Maybe he ripped one right at their fielder, or like there there is such a thing as clutch. I think, but you need a you need a nice sample to start saying that like before you go like this guy this guy can't get it done when it counts. It's like we don't really know that yet. And you know what, man, if you look at clutch, okay, and like the guys that are clutch, okay, and so you start talking the Justin Verlanders, you start talking some of these more experienced dudes that yeah, if you look at the beginning of their career, though, like they weren't clutch in the playoffs, it's almost like having experience in big moments does come into play. Would you agree with mm -hmm. that? Or yeah, do you view? Sure. Yeah, right. And because this is where it's like, there is a calmer. middle ground. Yeah. <laughs> There's such a thing as nerves. I don't know why people don't think there's such a thing as nerves. Like, I played baseball. I get nervous. I'm not a professional, but I, I've been nervous before. Like, especially like a rookie. Like a rookie pitcher. Like, you see, like, Brandon fought for Arizona this playoff. He's a rookie. He probably made, like, 15 starts. And he, he struggled in his first start. And he kind of got better as it went on. And it's like, that's... 
that's scary for like a guy who hasn't even had much major league success to be pitching in the playoffs. And like a starting pitcher is like, if the starting pitcher doesn't have it, you are at a huge, like the whole team is basically screwed. Yeah. So it's not like you're just like the nine hitter. Like it's a big deal. So there's a lot yeah, riding on your shoulder. That's, that's a really good point. Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay, Matt, I want to talk organizational philosophy versus coaching because I, I do want to get into the Jays coaching staff here. I, I know everyone's aware, obviously, John Schneider's returning as the manager. In fact, it was stated he was returning almost immediately after that loss mm -hmm. by Ross Atkins. Dave Hudgens is moving on. I mean, he's still, he was the hitting strategist. He's, I, I guess, if you can say promoted out of out of being the on-field guy, right? He's he's going to a different area of the organization. Florida, so you can argue. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, being moved. Uh, Don Mattingly's role has been expanded. Uh, Guillermo Martinez is returning. And obviously this was met with a lot of pushback from the fan base because there is something to be said about not succeeding to the level you want to and then running it back. It does seem kind of counterintuitive. Now that said, I will give this coaching staff a little bit of leeway in that I don't think it's particularly just one person, right? This is such a collaborative organization. And obviously there are strategies being implemented from the top down that are just expected to be followed. Where do you land on this coaching staff? Do you like that they're all returning? Are you a little frustrated with it? And how much do you personally feel an individual coach actually affects the outcome of a major league baseball team? Uh, I would say, like, I wasn't particularly happy about them running it back. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know exactly what goes on behind the scenes, but it, there's just kind of a frightening pattern with Jay's hitters this year of where all, I did, sh I remember doing it. I think Kevin Biggio was the only one on the team who had a higher, like, his home run per plate appearance went up. So that's one hitter on the entire team who hit more home runs this year. On a team that's known for hitting home like, runs? Yeah, like, everyone else went down. So that's, like, it depends if you want to say this is just a series of coincidences or not or what else. But I would have liked for them to just bring in an outside evaluator who would have a new voice, especially for guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who, I mean, you can debate whether – or not it's the hitting coach's fault but like this is a guy like we need to be better than that like you need to take whatever opportunity you can to like try and fix him not that he's completely broken but you he's supposed to be better than this Matt, and let's let's stop right there before you move on i am curious on your thoughts on vladimir guerrero jr um do you believe that he is closer to what we watched this year or maybe 2022 or do you feel that there is a 48 home run hitter in there somewhere and that we can unlock what we saw in 2021? Uh, I do think, I do think that he's not really going to get back to 2021 specifically. I think he can be a whole lot better than he was the last two years. I, this year he did like, if you go and look at it, like objectively speaking, he was unlucky like by like his expected stats are all way higher. Like this is like that's not something that happens like by accident. It just doesn't happen. 
but still, there's a lot that I didn't really like. Um, obviously, the results weren't particularly good. Um, like process-wise, he made more contact this year, um, and I I get the feeling I don't know. Like this is just my kind of personal theory that in 2021 actually i don't think very many fans would realize this but he made the least contact of his career in 2021 but he was hitting the ball significantly harder and he was hitting it in the air more and now this year he's more he's making a ton of contact like he doesn't strike out much but it's just a lot of like he's he's chasing pitches bad pitches to hit he's but he's hitting them and he just hits them like for not good contact like ground like right into the ground, ground balls, or, like, weak fly balls. And I'd almost, like, rather him see, like, rather see him kind of go back to swing swing hard and just, like, you know what? If I swing and miss, I swing and miss. But like, let's try and do damage. Like, this is, like, I'm, I'm the guy on the team. Like, this is, I'm the anchor of this lineup. Like, let's try and do some damage. Whereas we have we have Bobochet to hit, like, Bobochet. We don't need Bobochet mm-hmm. or Junior to hit Bobochet. There seems to be um, a thread of consistency when it comes to the increase in contact, right? And I know that this was yeah. an article you wrote that really like, man, I, I, I'm getting to listener questions before. But but like people really enjoyed that article, man, because it was really an in-depth look at what's going on philosophically right across the board with this organization. And one of the things you pointed out is that there was a serious increase in contact. There was a decrease in strikeouts. but Oddly enough, it really did seem to coincide with a a, a lack of power. And Can you dive this, into that a little for us? Yeah, this is something that it's been proven by people like smarter than me that <laughs> like it correlates like higher contact rate does correlate to worse contact quality, which basically is saying you're making more contact, but at the cost that it's not necessarily going to be good contact. Like this is it's as simple as you know, swinging hard, you're gonna swing and miss more versus like let's say you, not that major league hitters do this very much, but like choking up on the bat, that's like that's like something I'm doing to make more contact, but I'm also just not swinging nearly as hard. Right. So like it's just kind of like that thought process, and it's not to say that contact isn't good because of course contact is good. You don't want to swing and miss. Like the best hitters in baseball, they swing and miss and they have really good con. They don't swing and miss and they have really good contact quality. But stuff like exit velocity, swing path, which is basically like ground hitting ground balls, which is fly balls, like pulling the ball also, those are all stuff that are it's negatively correlated to contact rate. So meaning like the more contact you make, the less you're gonna pull it hard, probably less hard you're going to hit and then also you're going to hit more ground balls so that kind of the style of hitting is just it's better for someone who's fast for one and like i don't have a problem with whit merrifield doing that because he's kind of just like this is what how he hits he's mm-hmm. he's like a 12-year vet like this is just how he hits but like when we have george springer and alejandro kirk and Vladimir Guerrero jr and dolan varsher all trying to make more contact and it's coming at a power cost i just feel like power hitters should be power hitters. And I think analytics would also believe that it's not as simple as that, obviously, but that's just like, when I look at it, that's what I'm not so happy about is why is that happening? Is Cause it's, 
so it's i'm curious on your opinion idea. here because obviously matt you and i we're not privy to what's going on we don't actually know if there was a philosophical shift and they actually at the beginning of 2023 sat everyone down and were like listen we're going to try and make more contact here's how we're yeah. going to do it right we don't know if that happened but if you were to guess and looking at the numbers and the the lack of exit velo or the not lack of it but the decrease in it from 2022 the decrease in power the increase in contact and the decrease in strikeouts do you think that this is something that they were trying to do maybe not the lack of exit velo and power but do you think that they were trying to change their approach and that maybe they didn't see this lack of power coming like do you think that this was just like a an organizational mistake or do you think that um this is kind of coincidental Um, it's probably kind of in the. Uh, oh. Okay, wait. The Sorry, buddy. Just cut out. No, yeah, no, no. I got you back here. I don't know if that's my internet connection or yours, but either yeah. way, more likely mine. Um, <laughs> but it's. I think it's possible that they did think that you know we're gonna play good defense, we're gonna run the base as well, and they've said they've said this, and that they therefore tried to, to hit a little bit more in that kind of stylistic, like heavy contact. Um, I don't think it's as simple as them saying we're not going to hit home runs, obviously. Obviously. But I do think there might have been kind of an organizational shift towards contact a little bit. I mean, you look at it, and we went from first to, I believe, 23rd in average exit velocity. Like, that's a humongous drop. And you look at the guys we added, and yeah, we we got rid of Tay Oscar who and Lourdes who both hit the ball pretty hard, and and added people who don't hit it quite as hard. But that, that's still like that's a huge drop. So mm -hmm. then, I think there might be somewhat. I think some players like Matt Chapman, he said it himself. He wanted to make more contact this year. Like this is like a quote from him, because um, he said he made more contact back. When in like his best years, and he wanted to get back right. to doing that. And funnily enough, he actually made less contact this year in the end. Like that's what the stats say. So whatever he was doing didn't end up working, which I mean we <laughs> saw at the end of the year. Yeah. Like, he was not he was swinging missing a ton. I think it's a little bit of coincidence and probably a little bit of organizational shift. I mean, I don't know who this is coming from or if this is just the players or I know. Ross Atkins is not sitting there saying like we need to stop, we need to make more contact and, and yeah, hit less home runs. Like this is not something that's happening. I'm not going to delude myself that to that. Yeah, yeah, but, we can all hate Ross Atkins, but not for that. I mean, <laughs> no, there's there's no baseball executives are smarter than this. They know they know that's not a good idea for offense. So if that's the case. How do they correct this going into 2024? Because obviously they've got a whole gaggle of khakis that are going over the numbers right now, trying yeah. to come up with a new strategy. Um, 
sitting on their pitches a little bit more, right? Like I, I feel like a guy like George Springer, right? Like I almost want to see him sell out a little bit more, get back to hitting that 30 plus home runs. And if he strikes oh, out agree. more, that's fine. Yeah. Right. Like move yeah. him into the four spot, get him out of the lead off. And I, I, honestly, Matt, I'm not even um, shitting on the guy for his lead off capabilities. Like he's still got legs, even though he's got, coming up on 34 here this year, like he's still a speedy dude compared to like some of the guys on this team and over 50% sprint speed. But that yeah. said, I think it might be time for him to just realize that he could be a real RBI guy on this team now. And as we come into the final three years of this six year contract, he signed, it might be worth it for him to shift where he fits in this batting lineup and, and be more of that power RBI guy. Can you see George buying into something like that? I think so. He used to, he used to do it. Like I'm looking at this now, this is the highest contact rate of his entire career. And we're talking about a guy who was in MVP conversations with Houston. Like this yeah. was an incredible hitter, highest contact rate of his career, worst year of his career. It's not, it's not like, as simple as that but I don't know why he's I don't know why he's hitting like this I don't really get it it's not not really like what the Blue Jays would expect of him like this isn't a guy they signed to hit to hit like uh like each row or something like that. yeah like what 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 the good contact hitters hit for contact what the power hitters trying to hit for power but I'd like to see him I'd like to see him sell out a little bit more for power. I know that's something that's probably frowned upon generally, but like he was basically an average hitter this year. The two years prior with us, he was well above average. Well above average. We have to get him back to that. He's like an important cog in this lineup. Yeah, he's if he's leading off, he needs he's gotta be a bit better for sure. And I think he did get a little unlucky this year also, but still. 2024 is going to be an interesting year because we do, we are going to need to rely on some bounce backs from some of these guys that struggled, you know, George at the top of the list, Vladdy at the top of the list, Kirky at the top of the list. I mean, really people have been losing their mind over this Dalton bar show trade, which I mean, looking at it now, especially if you're just going to judge year to year, yeah, the Diamondbacks won last year of the trade. Like, I mean, there's it's tough to argue that. Uh, that said, I know everyone is on Ross Atkins about why would you trade Moreno and not Kirk? And I think it's just like, well, you trade who the other team is going to take also, right? Like, obviously, they really had targeted – Bar show they had decided he's the guy that they needed and and maybe that it did move the needle a little bit on what they were giving up maybe they did give up a little much that said i think var show really can rebound and i just don't think this trade would look near as bad if alejandro hadn't completely face planted mm-hmm. in the first half of 2023 yeah you're absolutely right i mean <laughs> it's like, was it a good trade year one? No, I don't think anyone should be arguing that. But, like, you don't judge trades after a year and say this is the worst tra- like the oh, worst trade in franchise history, people said. Like, we traded Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darnell for Ari Dickey. Like, that's that's worse right there. Yeah. Noah Syndergaard was pitching in a World Series. They traded Michael out. Young for Esteban Loiza. Like, man, yeah, there are some bad trades in yeah, history. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, JP Riccardi days. Like yeah, are, exactly. I don't know. Exactly. People forget where we came from. Like then we're not the Yankees. <laughs> like 
<laughs> so Matt, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. We're gonna we're gonna take a left turn here and talk managers because I know Adam and I have been on the show numerous times talking about what we feel makes a good manager in baseball today. And when I say that, I I I want to really specify baseball today, 2023, because obviously what made a good manager in 2003 is different than what makes a good manager now. And I know that there's a lot of the, we already talked about the divide in baseball of analytics versus the eye test. And we both kind of have landed on the fact that that's not really the case. There's a middle ground here. And that's what makes a really good baseball organization, an organization that can ride that line. So when you look at some of these older guys that are being hired, right? Bruce Bochy just took the Texas Rangers to the World Series. We just watched Ron Washington get hired by the Los Angeles Angels last night. Um, and a lot of a lot of guys, a lot of team or uh, fans are saying there's the swing back to the old school. But I push back a little bit about that. Just because they're older managers doesn't necessarily mean they're really that old school. In fact, if anything, yeah. they've grown with the game very well. Uh, so I'm curious on your thoughts then. What makes a good manager? And do you feel Bochi and Wash are in fact old school? Or is there more to it than that? Uh, well, it's hard to say for Wash. I mean, he hasn't managed. Uh, he managed back in the day. I don't really remember his style mm-hmm. that much. For Bochi, I think he's maybe a little bit old school with bullpen management. He kind of lets his, likes to let his starters go. That's not really like, I don't think that's the worst thing ever. If you have good starting pitchers, it's just like, you don't do that with, like you want to do that with Nate Eovaldi, like fair enough. Like he's, he's been around. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say a good manager in 2023 is they have a good feel for the clubhouse. They're pretty good with the media. Um, they work well with the front office. They don't, they're all, they all need to be on the same page. And that's most of it. I think bullpen management, because you know, you can't game plan perfectly with bullpen management. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of times that the manager does end up making the call, even though we kind of tend to think of it as like the front office is laying out the plan. So I think guys like maybe like Craig Council, who just got Hated. Um, he does a really good job of management. The Brewers, their bullpens every year, you just see like, it's like eight guys you've never really heard of, and they lost you. Oh, there we go. Nice. Yeah. Let's uh let's go back to what you were saying about Craig Council because it just kind of cut out for a second there when you were going over Craig yeah. Council. And I think he's a great example. And I think there's a reason why he became the highest manager in Major League Baseball history, also. So yeah, well, he does a really good job with bullpen management. Um Brewers, they if you go and look at their like team roster that they have Devin Williams and they kind of have it's just a, kind of a lot of guys that like most people wouldn't have heard of and you know he does a really good job of getting putting like relievers in a spot where they can be successful like really like platoon splits and a lot of that kind of thing so I think he like he's an example of someone who does at add, this added value but I would say like most of the time like 
clubhouse stuff, the players liking him and listening to him and working working with the front office. Those are, those are the main things. Mm-hmm. Like someone like Dusty Baker, who is he recently retired. He's a baseball legend, but his style of managing in 2023 just isn't that great. He really does play favorites, and this isn't even like a debatable thing. Like he does play favorites. He just he's been on record saying he doesn't like like Chas McCormick very much, and yeah, and like he never played Yane or Diaz. Instead, opting for Martin Maldonado. You don't have to look very far to see how that doesn't really make that much sense. Just mm-hmm. like the hitting difference, and also Maldonado not that good of a fielder this year. Like that kind of thing where he, the rent manager kind of just goes rogue is like that would be like someone I would say definitely avoid them. Yeah. But, well, it's no funny other how there doesn't is necessarily do that. That's kind of just dusty. It's funny how there's like such a fine line between loyalty, which we saw work really well with John Schneider and going to bat for Kevin Biggio at the beginning of the year and just kind of telling him, you know what, buddy? Like, I know you have it in you. We're going to go to you. Because I think there is value in that. Now, there's also the double-edged sword of, like, constantly going to Martin Maldonado, who, yes, maybe two years ago, that is the way you you go. But now you're just showing too much loyalty, and it's hurting your team, right? Like, that is, in my opinion as well, what makes a good manager, right? Is being able to ride that line between showing confidence in your guys and also knowing when it's time to... Yeah, go a different direction, right? Like pulling him aside, letting him know, like, well, we value what you did here, but we've got this young kid, and he's he's bringing a lot more to the table at this point. Communication, but, right? Like being able to know when it's time to take a guy aside and explain what's going on. Like, I think that maybe again, we don't know what's going on or what went on in 2023 in the organization when it comes to communication for the Blue Jays. But I do feel like it is an aspect that they need to work on. I know that even, you know, (laughs) like there's so many different examples of like times where you're like, like the whole, we don't need to get into it, but the whole Alec Manoa thing, like all year, Uh like from, from the beginning to the end of that, I'm, I find myself going, what really happened and how did they muff that up so bad right like this is the dude yeah. who finished third in Cy Young voting yeah it was like like this was like his first percentile outcome is how we would say it in like the prospect world like this is the worst possible thing that could have happened to Alcimo this year like, literally <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could not imagine him having a worse year than he did like I thought maybe he wouldn't be as good as last year but oh geez yeah, no, yeah. even I was like, you know what, Alec will be fine, even if he has a 4.25 ERA and winds up, you know, mm-hmm. being more, more catch along up. the lines of our four or five, like that's yeah. still, you know, I still really, believe, and... that's what I thought yeah. too, Matt, I'm like, he'll at least <laughs> eat innings, right, and he'll give us a chance to win and go out and pitch six innings every game, and wow, like, yeah, like you said, like crazy. the 1% worst case scenario. Do you, do you, let's talk Alec just a second here before we move on. Cause I do want to talk prospects with you. Um, mm-hmm. Can you see a rebound coming? Like, and can you see it with this organization? It's hard. I haven't actually like looked too much into it. I think like, if you go and look at any of his numbers this year, like he was just bad. It wasn't like this, mm-hmm. this is like, he was bad and, and unlucky. Like he was just bad. Like he was, walking a ton losing the zone constantly if you watch him 
You notice he couldn't finish anyone off. He'd get them on two strikes, and they'd just foul and foul and foul, and then they'd bloop in a hit or something. Like He just couldn't really – didn't have that out pitch because his slider is just so much worse this year. Um, and he's – I think the pitch clock might have had something to do with it. He looked like he was kind of laboring out there, and I know there's been a lot of talk like talk about his weight and I'm I'm pretty sure he's going to be losing some weight from yeah I think the other that's thing, part of it the other thing I wonder about too is I know that uh we have a buddy that's uh, that works in uh sports medicine and he was talking about his thought on Alec Manoa was that it was the increase from 110 innings in 2021 yeah, to 200 to 204 and that's with the wild card obviously but still, mm-hmm. that's a that's a pretty huge increase for a league that considers a twenty percent increase the most you want to do year to year on a pitcher, right? So that's substantially more. And I know that yeah. our buddy was just telling us that the thing with over, an overworked arm is that there's no way to fix it but shutting it down, right, and letting it rest and rehab. Yeah. And so he may have already kind of hit a wall in April, <laughs> where he really needed to be shut down and just. You know, how do you shut down your yeah. third and voting Cy Young guy in April? You just don't, right? And yeah, you, so I wonder if it's fatigue a little too. I think that's a good point. I've seen some pretty, like, people that I think are pretty smart that have said similar. Like, this is just, that was a bit much. And I do wonder how much of it was just fatigue. and Because his, his slider was shit this year, man. Like, yeah, it wasn't just like he was throwing it softer. Like the shape was like considerably worse. It just yeah. broke less. Like, yeah, definitely. He didn't have his command. He didn't have his stuff. Like this is it's just a complete reset for next year. Yeah. See how he looks in the spring. If he's he's locating again, and he looks like he's got his good stuff. I think he's probably gonna end up as the five starter. Do you want to see that Ricky spot Tiedemann. guaranteed to him? Not guaranteed. He should. He if he looks like last year, he should not be getting that. So spot. he needs he to. Was it, lose, right? He was losing us a lot of games. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's got to earn it. I feel the same way, man. Like, and then I think in the worst case scenario, if he if he isn't doesn't look good, and then hopefully we've got. I like our depth options, even if we don't sign anybody else. Like, I think Tiedemann will probably push for a rotation spot next year. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that kind of segues into the prospect stuff, but segues yeah. into it perfectly, Matt. It's like you were <laughs> meant to do this, buddy. Uh, <laughs> let's talk prospects because, and and you know what? When it comes to the Blue Jays farm system, I do want your opinion on where this team is at. Um, you follow this farm system as closely as anyone. I'm always yeah. impressed with how much research and time you spend in evaluating players. And everyone in Blue Jays Nation is pretty aware of the top of the list, right? Most people are excited about Ricky Tiedemann. Most people know who Aralvis Martinez is and is excited about it. Most fans even know that the number one pick last year was Arjun Namala, who you touched on, 17-year-old stud who, fingers crossed, can really help um, this organization moving forward come, you know, 2026, 2027, whenever it may be. So I, I do want to hear your opinion on those three because they are the three most talked about. But I also want you to dig a little deeper. I know that there's some exciting prospects in this system right now that maybe aren't getting the love amongst the media that maybe they should. I'd love to hear who you have on your radar. You did just put out your top 10 
uh, Blue Jays prospects and have been doing this league wide. Uh, where is Toronto at? So let's start with this. I will get in. We'll, we'll get into all the names, but let's start with this because right now the Blue Jays system is ranked. I, I think it was 18th or 20th, something like that in the league. Um, do you feel that the Blue Jays farm system is swinging towards the top 10 or do you think it's currently in a hold pattern or do you think that it, it's it's even on the way down? Where do you view this farm system? Uh, I would say it's in the hold pattern. I had in my last rankings, I had them 23rd, which I think okay. was maybe one or two spots higher than Baseball America. I think I'm maybe a tiny bit higher, but I do try to keep like my bias out of it, like that kind of right. things. Of course. Um, I do value depth maybe a little bit more than the big sites, which they kind of just look at like, who are your top 100 guys? Which I think the Blue Jays system is actually quite deep, but they don't really have a whole lot right now at the top. But I do think we're kind of like poised to like tread water next year because we're going to see Barger and we're going to see Martinez and we're going to see Tiedemann and probably Alan Roden as well graduate next year. So that's going to be a big hit to the top. So it's going to have to be guys on the bottom are going to have to bump up. But I do really, I like, like actually love their draft this year. And this wasn't just me like talking myself into it or anything. Like, yeah, I have like my draft board from before the draft. Namala, we got at 20. I had him at nine. So that was like someone I, I pick I really loved. Um, our second pick. Jerron Watts Brown was in my top 50. I think we got him at like 89 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then it's funny, I had a tweet out on like Jason Prospectus with like my some round three targets that I like. Like, like these are guys maybe later that I'd like to see if we can get that might be available. And two of the guys on that list, Jace Borup and, and Landon Marutis, we mm-hmm. got in round four and six. So like that's like they took up right off my board, basically. So That's I was awesome. like very thrilled. Um, which I really like, really liked our draft. Um, I'm excited for what these guys can do next year. I think, I think one, if not two, of those guys will be top 100 next year. I do, I do really think that. So that's, that's exciting, that's man. That's exciting. Like we're hoping that that's what happens. Actually, Tell Jason me- Orphan was like insane to start the year. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about Alan Rodon, because he's a name that keeps coming up. And actually, we're lucky enough. He's actually joining us on the show next week. So uh, would love to hear your thoughts on him. Yeah, I really like him. Um, He's kind of against my typical, like what I typically look for in like hitting prospects. I like like power. I like playing premium defense. Those are like kind of big things. He doesn't really do either of those, but (laughs) he does a lot of things really, really well. And I'm really excited about him. He has like what I would say, like, or like elite plate skills, meaning he, he really doesn't swing and miss and he really doesn't like chase. And when he does chase, he doesn't whiff. Like he just, he's just a contact machine. He's very similar to like, um, we saw the angels call him up Nolan Shanuel. Right. Um, he's a very similar player, but he plays the outfield and he's, he actually has a similar kind of stance. It's like this open, like, like hands like statue of liberty kind of stance yeah and yeah i'm really excited about the hit tool i've got it as a 60 which is like a plus hit tool i think he's going to be a good mlb hitter i think he's going to hit for a lot of average he's going to hit for average i think he's going to walk i think he's going to play 
pretty good defense in the corner and like left field or right field. Can we um, expect a WRC plus above a hundred? Is he going to be an above average guy? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I know Steamer, the projection system had him at like 105 or something, which is like okay. incredibly high for a rookie. Like there's not very many rookies. So do you believe he he's going to play major league baseball this year? Uh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think he, now, he finished. There's a chance that he season. comes out of the camp out of camp. Wow. Because he finished it's, it's the season at double A. Yeah, but he's older. Um, he was like, an, I think he was a senior. I might be wrong about this. I think he was a senior sign. So he's a bit older, which I mean, to me, I don't think there's a big difference between double A and triple A in terms of like quality of players there. I think it's actually quite similar. So I think he could conceivably skip triple A. We've seen players do it recently. And he's kind of like an older, polished player where I think. Like as far as being MLB ready, he might be more MLB ready than Aurelius Martinez, but he doesn't have the same he doesn't have the same ceiling. But he, I think, you could be a decent hitter. Like, next even like next May, we'll wow. see what happens. How aggressive they are with him, but I do I do expect him to be an MLB. So for everyone listening who's wondering, Alan Rodon, twenty three years old, he finished the minor league season with the New Hampshire, uh, New Hampshire Fisher catch last year. Uh, he plays left field. He can move around the outfield a little bit. Can you, so this, this actually transitions beautifully into just where the blue Jays are headed next year. Can you see Alan Rodon being that fourth outfielder? Like, obviously they need to go out and get a power bat. I think that that's, yeah. Priority number one, whether it be, I mean, we all talk Jorge Soler and uh, the obvious fits, but we could see them get creative. There's different options out there, whether it's free agency or or a trade. But can you see Rodon, like you just said, you might he might even make the team out of out of spring training. If he has a good spring, can you see there being a spot open to him as that fourth outfielder? It depends on what we do in the offseason, obviously. I think if we add multiple outfielders, then probably not. But in the event that maybe we just you add like let's say like Jorge Soler who isn't really a good defensive outfielder you'd rather him DH mm-hmm. and then like some other guy like Dylan Carlson I know I've seen the name not that I'm yeah. particularly high on him but like if, in that kind of situation I could I could see him making making the team out of camp but he's definitely a name to watch for sure. And do you want me to talk about like the kind of top three guys or? Yeah. Yeah. Give us a rundown on your views on Tiedemann, Martinez and uh, Namala. I'll go try and not make this too long. Although, because I will end up talking about them forever if I'm not careful. (laughs) Um, Tiedemann, I really like Tiedemann. Obviously, he's just like the consensus best prospect in our system. Um, He kind of has like a Chris Sale type of delivery fastball real good fastball can touch the upper 90s which is like incredible for a left-hander left-handers you throw what not nearly as hard um especially from that release point it's really tough on hitters um and it gets a lot of ground balls um his slider and change up both good pitches too he locates his fastball he if there's one thing i would say i'm like Kind of iffy on him with it's like his fastball command isn't great. He's kind of an inconsistent strike thrower. He'll 
especially deep into starts, he tends to lose batters. I think some of this is just he was kind of recovering from an injury. It takes a little while to get your mechanics synced up. But he was, being 21, been, too, I think, right? Yeah, or, he's yeah. And, and yeah, that's true for sure. Because he is like that was one thing about that um, being promoted to AAA is that you are facing, and I think this is just development 101, right? Like, especially for a young guy like like Ricky, who's 21, to have some opponents that are savvy at the plate, that are going to lay off pitches. This is good for him, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a good test. AAA is a really tough offensive environment. And that's looks like where he's going to start next year. Yeah. And I've seen – I just want to say this because I know – a lot of people have the perception that he's this really injury prone player. And I don't know why we're, we have this idea because yes, he got injured this year, but what kind of pitcher doesn't get injured And last year? He didn't have a single injury last year and they labeled him as injury prone. And it's like, he spent like, he missed like a month or two this year. with like, uh, I don't remember exactly. It was an arm injury. Mm-hmm. But like, this is like, this is a 21 year old. You're saying is injury prone because he got one injury. Like, let's let's relax like if you're concerned <laughs> about his workload then if, that's fair he hasn't thrown that many innings but like to say he's like injury prone it's like like you were new to starting pitchers then because this is just what happens to pitchers yeah yeah great point and where are you at on Aralvis martinez because he does yeah. feel like a possible internal option for third base depending on mm-hmm. how things go or do you do you view him more as a second baseman? I know that there's a lot of people out there who do view him more as a second baseman. I like him better at third, but granted, I don't like watch him take reps every day. So I think it's his arm is more of a feature at third, whereas his range is kind of a little bit more fringy. He's not a he's a good athlete, but he's just not that really polished defensively. Like his hands could use some work. His emotions aren't that great. Because again, I he's twenty one. Second base is <laughs> yeah yeah. It, he can improve like we're talking you have to project defense like you have to project anything else like this yeah. is something people get better at he's not like he's not like this like really slow guy i know he's not like a great base dealer but this is he's a good athlete uh i think i like him better at third i know I, there's a lot of buzz that he might end up at second which is I think it's probably he does fine. have a cannon of an arm though he like you yeah that's on why it. i he's like got him better cannon. at third yeah it's, you're kind of wasting a second second is more range but i do like his bat um i think he's a little bit rawer than maybe people think he is he does still whiff a lot um his plate discipline improved this year he made and he made more contact especially with two strikes like he did take big leaps from his hit tool like there were there were people saying his hit tool was like a 30 and i don't think anyone would say that now i think it's maybe like more like a 40 or 45 mm-hmm. but the power is still like good he's He's not like this like freak of nature like guy who just crushes the ball, but he has like like we talked about earlier like game power. Like he gets to it in games. Like he he pulls fly balls. He hits a lot of fly balls. Like he's an extreme fly ball hitter. So he's not going to hit for a high average, but he's going to hit a lot of home runs and doubles. So I do like his bat. Um, I do have Namal above him, but that's also just because I really love Namal. So. Mm-hmm. I do like Martinez. Twenty twenty four, he makes his debut. You think? Yeah, I do yeah. think so. Um, all right, tell us about Namala and why you're excited and why we should all get excited. Um, he's very far away, but 
if there's anyone in this system who could be a superstar, it is Arjun Damala. Like I've seen someone in the Jays organization compare him to Carlos Correa, which is lofty, but yes, please. <laughs> he's really young. He and for his age, he's very advanced as a hitter. Um, he really impressed in like his pro debut. I didn't get to watch him because he's in the rookie ball, mm-hmm. but the people that did get to watch him, like people that I value their opinion really said he was like one of the standouts and these are people outside the Blue Jays organization these are like Baseball America scouts or like MLB pipeline they said he looked really good uh he's he's strong ball flies off his bat he kind of has a swing geared to hit for power it's not like this like kind of like slap hitter swing he does whiff he does have some strikeout concerns for sure I mean he's 17 but he did show like I was expecting him to like be rawer than he was he kind of looked like he had like some present hitting skills like his plate mm-hmm. discipline was pretty good but really it's all just about like a great athlete he's got good power potential um good chance to stick at shortstop long term which is a big thing when i talk about power and premium defense like this is a guy that checks those boxes and he's just like he's kind of like just like a blue chip prospect even if he's a long way away and that's maybe why you don't see him ranked that highly but like as far as like potential goes, I would say he has the highest like well, Tiedemann could be an ace. So that's but it's splitting hairs. Namal yeah. a little bit more risk. He's a long way away, but I really like Namal a lot. He was the pick I was very high on. I I was very happy to get him. So Matt, can you see Arjun Namala making his way to high A this this year in twenty twenty four? Or do you think that he's still probably a year away from even getting to Vancouver? Um, I mean, it's possible. I think he'll start at Dunedin next year. Mm-hmm. And there, it's kind of like a good jump from Dunedin. I mean, uh, oh, it's not... a, it's it might be the biggest but... jump. I mean, outside of double A AA to triple A, like it, it's a you know, or double A to the majors. Like I know that 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 rookie ball to uh, Dunedin. It's yeah, a oh man, ball. it's a big it's jump. A, it's a different yeah. beast. Yeah. So. Uh, I think they're gonna they're they'd be patient with him. Like if he was like hitting really well well in like June, they wouldn't call him up. Like it'll be like this yeah. is like a guy we really want to see it with. Um, this is a chance at though. Eighteen years he, old, like he's not even eighteen yet. <laughs> yeah, the Blue Jays aren't like the Angels or the Padres where they kind of like get really aggressive. I would be yeah. surprised. I would say I think you can probably expect him in Florida for all of next year. So we'll see. Okay. All right. Uh, we're getting long in the tooth here. So just a oh, couple yeah. more topics. Uh, I know we got to get to some lister questions here too. So um, let's go with this. I want to talk Shohei Otani because last night I was having some beers with a buddy and we, we started talking Shohei Otani and I know what a long shot it is, but of course it's easy to talk yourself into it. And he is such a unicorn. And you know, like one thing that I was bringing up is I'm like, you know, you think about the name recognition that goes along with Babe Ruth and we're talking a hundred years after his prime. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying Shohei Otani is going to have the same name recognition as Babe Ruth, but in the baseball world, he is, he is a unicorn. We've never seen anything like this. Even there's an argument to be made. We haven't even seen anything like this since Babe Ruth with the way he can pitch and the way he can hit bombs. Which does add an extra layer of value, in my opinion, to him. When you look at a, a 
ownership group like Rogers, right? Where you're like, okay, we know that Babe Ruth is synonymous with the Yankees. You think the Yankees, you think Babe Ruth and vice versa. And obviously in a hundred years, there is going to be some real value. I mean, we don't even need to go a hundred years, but let's say 30 years, well after Otani has retired, there's still going to be some real value for Rogers to be able to be synonymous with Otani. And it might not quite be to the level of the Yankees and Babe Ruth, but there's some real value there. And obviously there's probably 10 organizations that can talk themselves into giving him a blank check and giving him whatever he wants because of that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, we're back. (laughs) That there's even some value down the road um, to just give him a half a billion dollars. Can you see um, Otani going somewhere outside of the box that, because there are so many organizations that probably can see the value in this, like everyone kind of has it between the Mets and the Dodgers, but there's a lot more at stake here than just what the Dodgers and Mets can afford. Most teams can make an, a, a, a pitch for why they should spend that money, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm on the same page with you. I think he's the most talented baseball player ever. I would say that like, like without even having to think twice. Yeah, me too. Um, so uh, just think of the marketing also, like the Japanese market. Like how yeah. how many likes do you see those Angels tweets get? Like when like the Angels aren't good, but like they have a huge following, the Japanese following. Like that's a huge I just see like a lot of different like owners that are like maybe, you know, maybe a little bit more stingy than you than the Dodgers and the Mets going like like there's a lot of money to be made here. That's where that's what they think over of a long period of time, right? Yeah. Like this isn't <laughs> This isn't Cody Bellinger. This is a different beast. Like, um, I think the Giants could make a run at him. I think the Giants, they missed, they whiffed on everyone last offseason. If you remember, their fans are not, we're not happy about that. I think they have the money. I think they have the location, the West Coast location. I think they can make a serious run at him. And I think their owner is does have the money if he wanted to do it. But I do think the Dodgers are probably the most likely. I'd yeah. like the Blue Jays to be involved. I just, it's a hard time seeing it. I would applaud Rodgers, even if it was the biggest overpay ever. Just like, oh, like, let's, like, I'm fine with it. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I don't give him, give him, cool with me. Give him 550 million. Like, yeah, I, I feel like, like, I feel like it almost pays for itself, honestly. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> it. Like, I feel like there's just so much money in sponsorships and to, to be made. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But I'm not a, I'm not an accountant, so for <laughs> other people to decide, I guess. All right. Before we get to listener questions, I do want your opinion on arm health. Because the truth is, in my opinion anyways, arm health has become the... I don't know what the best way of putting it is. Like, I want to say an epidemic almost, but yeah. m- maybe that's overblowing it a little bit. But honestly, I, I almost don't feel like it is. Like, we continue to see this push for Max Velo. We continue to see Tommy John surgeries increase. Now, mm-hmm. I know that 10 years ago, um, Tommy John surgery had an 85% success rate for the first one and a 27% success rate for the second. Both those numbers have increased in the last 10 years. There's almost a full 95% success rate for the first one, and it's almost pushing 50% for the second. 
but like at what point do we have to be like maybe there's a better way yeah so do, <laughs> do, do you view there uh is there a chance that arm health starts to be taken more seriously or is that kind of an oxymoron in a sport that values max velocity to the level that they're doing it right now i mean i think it is taken ser very seriously right now like you have to think of it as like these are investments like for the, ma the general manager for the organization like these are like guys they want to keep healthy because their value is on the field not on the injured list i do think they take it incredibly seriously but i also think what is optimal right now is what you said max velocity and it's not even to say like like teams like the rays you see them just slew of injuries every year and this is what the rays the rays organization preaches in pitching and like they're dang good at pitching yeah. every year it works i do think it really works which is the problem almost that we're not major league baseball will need to step in and incentivize pitchers not preaching velocity nearly as much because right now I would never, I wouldn't fault someone like someone in high school, like doing what they can to build up their velocity. Like that's how you get signed. That's how mm -hmm. a lot of the times you end up being a good MLB pitcher. So it's just what is right now. That's kind of just what the name of the game is. And it's kind of, you'd have to make some changes, I guess, to, to bring back and it kind is. Of like the Jordan Montgomery's of the world who throw yeah. 92, but they, you know, they have really good secondary stuff or that kind of thing. So, yeah. No, and it, it will be interesting to see if there is a pendulum swing the other way towards the more, like you said, Jordan Montgomery's the, yeah. you know, there are, there are hall of famers out there like Greg Maddox that never had a fastball over 91. Right. Yeah. So there, there is uh pathways to success that doesn't involve extreme velocity. Now that said, as a fan, I will be honest, even though I know all of this, about the arm and i'm well aware of the epidemic of arm injuries in major league baseball watching jordan hicks come out of the toronto blue jays bullpen and throw 104 miles an hour matt it was freaking awesome like <laughs> yeah and there's there's sinkers too he's not throwing a four seam like that that, that, that it moves <laughs> it know, moves man. at that speed <laughs> so it's yeah. hard not to get excited about that but it there is, is something that needs to be done to I, and i don't know what the answer is but no, I Lord, agree with you. Scott uh, Boris thinks it's the pitch clock. <laughs> Scott Boris has Scott Boris is a lot more tolerable if you realize that everything he's saying is there's a reason in why in an attempt he's, to make money for one of his clients. Yeah. Yes, yeah. You have to watch everything he says through that viewpoint because he's not giving his opinion. He's giving whatever's gonna make money. But yeah, I agree with you. The I want I like pitchers who throw a lot of innings. I feel like they're undervalued. Chris yes, Bassett, even like just guys like, like you see like guys like Tower Glass now. Like I would rather have someone who throws almost two hundred innings, and maybe the run prevention isn't quite as good, but like that's more valuable. How many teams do we see every year that just run out of innings and they got these like triple A journeymen making meaningful starts down the stretch? Yeah, the Twins had Dallas Keuchel making meaningful starts like in a playoff run. Dude, the Diamondbacks had a bullpen game in Game Four of the World Series. <laughs> yeah, they have their they have their own issues. They're pitching their back. Yeah, the rotation is just bad. Like I can't yeah. even fault them because it's just like no, of course, because gonna... who else are you going to put in there? If you're not going to put in Ryan Nelson to try and go five innings, it's just not going to work. <laughs> I really agree with you too, because I, I would much rather, and maybe this is the wrong way of looking at it, but I would rather a guy pitch 195 innings 
at a 3.95 ERA than a guy pitch 150 innings at a 2.95 ERA. And maybe that doesn't come out in the wash, but in my thinking, I'm just like the 45 extra innings where you're not throwing out that triple a journeyman who now, now you start doing the math on the ERA between the two of them. And you're like, huh, an under four ERA and all those innings would be nice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Depends on how strong your bullpen is. Of if course. If you have a really crappy bullpen, then you better opt for the guy that is giving you more innings. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's wrap things up here with listener questions. Thank you so much, Matt, for all your time, man. Again, oh, no really, really enjoy your content and so thrilled that you took a few minutes to, to chat some baseball with us. I, I hope we can twist your arm and bring you back over the offseason here as yeah, we become uh, more desperate for baseball. Um, yeah. okay. So the first one is from Matt Finley, and he says, Hey, Nene, uh, below is a three-year average comparison between two teams. This question made me laugh, by the way, because this is so your style of question. Like, just here's a bunch of different stats, and now you here's decide which one's numbers. the best. So uh, Team A is 227 home runs. 870 RBIs, a 277 batting average, and an OPS of 816. Team B is 262 home runs, 106 RBIs, a 260 batting average, and a 794 OPS. Do you have a favorite there? Team A, for sure. Team A. The OPS is higher. I mean, there's a lot of other factors I'd also have to consider, but from this context... Give me the team that has a higher OPS, even if they're hitting less home runs. So for everyone at home, Matt has provided the uh, Matt Finley, by the way, not not Matt that we're talking to. He has provided the answers as to who these teams are. So team A is the 2004 to 2006 New York Yankees with Don Mattingly as the hitting coach. Team B is the 2021 to 2023 Atlanta Braves. And then he says, obviously it isn't a perfect way of looking at it because of individual performances, different decades of hitting and other outliers, but maybe shows a bit of hope for Mattingly trying to be positive here in an offensive hitting coach role. (laughs) And he's like, for reference, the borderline offensive juggernaut, the 2021 Blue Jays hit 262 home runs, 116 RBIs and a 799 OPS. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what he's getting at. Yeah, it's not like Don Mattingly hasn't had a good hitting teams for sure. Yes, he yes. also had some bad ones like the Marlins yes, and the Dodgers while he was there. But that doesn't mean <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that he's he's like this massive detriment. I didn't like the hire, but you know what? Yeah. You know what? He's a hitting coordinator. He's he's not swinging the bat. So the truth is, man. Still could be hired as a manager elsewhere before the end of the year. Like we're yeah, all, the, the everyone's Brewers, all perhaps. upset about Mattingly, but we don't know what's going to happen over the next few months. So, yep, we will see. Okay, so Jason Dante from Patreon, and again, all of the Patreon members, thank you so much for for chipping in and and helping. Without you guys, we wouldn't even have the show. So really appreciate it. Jason says, "Tell Nene I never miss an article." Curious if he thinks it's too late for a successful Joey Gallo to the Blue Jays experiment. I still kind of like the idea. Um, to be honest with you, I wouldn't really like Joey Gallo. Not for yeah. the reasons that a lot of people don't like him, which is that he's horrible to watch because he just strikes out all the time. Like I think he's not a bad hitter. Um, 
he is regressing. Like he's his plate discipline is getting worse. He's slowing down significantly. He doesn't play gold glove defense in the outfield no, he anymore. Doesn't. So that's like a big thing because like that was a part of what you're getting with him is good defense. Um, you'd probably get him for really cheap, but I think we could do better. I think he makes more sense for like a team like the Athletics, like right, just someone who right. can give him some at bats, and he's still just trying to have that good healthy season to get paid again, but. Yeah, he just he swings and misses too much. He's just he's just a complete black hole when he's not hitting home runs, and he doesn't really hit as many as he once did. So, mm-hmm. yeah. okay, the last question here, bud, and we did kind of touch on this a little bit, so um, you can just kind of give a rough overview of what we already talked about here. But Amanda Marshall says, "Hey, Nay, love following you on Twitter. I know you wrote about the increase in contact and decrease in strikeouts in the Jays this year and how that philosophical change is probably why the power was down. Could you really break that down and explain the nuts and bolts of why this is the case, please? Thanks and keep up the great work. Uh, Yeah, I did kind of talk about this, uh, refer to this. There's this uh, site called swing graphs. It's, it's paywalled. Unfortunately, I, I actually don't even have access to myself anymore, but they did a research <laughs> piece that um, where they basically like they went through all the hitters and, you know, making more contact does negatively correlate to contact quality, which means essentially is saying that the more contact you make, often it comes with the detriment to your power or just like doubles and home runs. So it's not saying that contact isn't good, but it's saying that if you're a hitter trading, especially if you're a power hitter and you're trading power for contact, it's not usually worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. There would be some cases, I'd say like Teoscar Hernandez, actually when he first broke out, he was actually someone who did that, where he started making more contact and he kind of... It, it did help him. Yeah, it did help him. Um, and he, it kind of let everything else open up for him. But this is just like a general thing. Like you don't want all your power hitters making more contact at the expense of their, like how hard they're hitting the ball. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's definitely something to watch next year. I'm hoping it swiftly reverses itself. So we'll see. All right, Matt, honestly, dude, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. It's been a, a pleasure talking baseball with you. It's funny, even leading up to the interview, there was, as I was uh, messaging you some of the topics, like I was like, don't start talking baseball with them yet. Like I wanted to like get right into it. So again, man, I, I really enjoyed this chat and uh, all the best. And hopefully we can have you back sometime. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversations. I had never done anything like this before. So this is my uh, my public speaking debut. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Getting them there. on the podcast run. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. Again, take care of yourself and we'll talk to you later. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Bye.